Welcome to the Awareness Offerings Podcast, a weekly offering of yoga philosophy discussion and guided meditation for the moments we're living in. I'm your host, Laura Tara Davy Joplin. I'm a yoga and meditation teacher, spiritual social media strategist, and integrative counselor, working to integrate the principles of the spiritual path into every aspect of my work and my life. This podcast is an extension of that work as I navigate the world as a white woman devotee of yoga, living at many intersections of privilege, living in the West, and trying to live with awareness. Thank you for joining me in this work. You're listening to episode 49, Compassion as the Only Path. Hey y'all, happy to be sharing this space with you. Hope you are, you know, doing whatever you're doing, having the the day that you're having and you have what you need in whatever's going on with you. As always, if you would like to support what's going on here on the show, best ways you can do so are to rate, subscribe, and or leave a review on whatever platform you're using to listen. You can also share, you know, social media wise or by word of mouth if you feel called. And all of those things simply help other people find this podcast. And I very much appreciate that. And most of all, as per usual, appreciate this, your presence here. So we'll get into some presence. We'll open this space with our opening practice of singing the sound of Om one time. Om is the sound of consciousness. It is a Sanskrit syllable, and Sanskrit is this really ancient vibrational language, which means that each word and syllable is said to contain a certain kind of energy. And the meaning of that energy is actually more relevant than any kind of literal translation of Sanskrit words. So Om is the energy of consciousness. And as we sing it, we just try to set that container of consciousness for this space that we're sharing here. You can sing it out loud with me, or you can choose to listen as a practice. If you're coming along, you might get your body into any kind of comfortable position. You might choose to close your eyes or just soften your gaze by looking down the tip of your nose or toward the floor. Anything to turn the awareness toward yourself, just a way of arriving in yourself here. You might take a breath in through your nose if nostril breath is available to you right now. And a full exhale, just clearing some space for this practice. And then we'll inhale for the sound of OM. Thank you for joining me in that practice. And now for this week's discussion. And we're talking about compassion. And it's a subject pretty close to my heart because the name that I was given as a symbol of my commitment to my lineage of yoga is Tara Devi. And Tara is the Tibetan Buddhist goddess who represents the energy of compassion. And so in some ways, my name means compassion. And that's a teaching for me. I was given that name um, for a reason, right? Something, it's, it's a teaching, it's a lifetime teaching um, about you know, prioritizing compassion as the highest, as, as the most high, really. 
And with that said, I'm surprised I haven't talked more about compassion as its own subject and teaching on this podcast, but here we are. We're talking about it today. And the thing that inspired this particular uh, discussion about compassion was teaching yoga. This is my eighth year. I'm, I'll, I'll, in the fall, I will have been teaching yoga for eight years. Um, and I was telling a couple of people yesterday that even though so much feels incredibly difficult and chaotic and painful, both in my own personal life and in this world of continued suffering and injustice that we are all living in, yoga feels pretty good. My classes are feeling really good. Um, They're full, which I'm really grateful for right now. Um, I know it's a gift to be able to have a craft and to make money and be supported in that way. And there's good yoga coming, like good teachings are coming out of my mouth still when I go to teach and they don't come from me, right? Especially because I'm sitting here as a white yoga teacher in the West. Um, Yoga definitely doesn't come from me because it is indigenous to South Asia. And I feel responsible for naming that anytime I talk about myself as a yoga teacher. It is a borrowed tradition for me, but one that has had a really profound impact on my life all the same. But it also just doesn't belong to me, you know, nothing that I'm saying is, is mine. It's a form of, of attachment and kind of, it's an ego trip a little bit. If I were to say it's my teachings, I see what I, you know, what comes out of my mouth while I'm teaching yoga as the words of all those who have come before me. Uh, on the path of yoga, the the long and ancient path of yoga, especially my teachers. But the yoga is good, right? The yoga is feeling good. And I'm doing my typical Thursday podcast recording on here on the 21st of July, 2022. So I was teaching yoga yesterday as of this recording, my, my Wednesday evening class that I teach each week in North Georgia. And we were in Shavasana. My, my group was in Shavasana. And Shavasana is uh, the typically the final pose in a yoga sequence. After the movement is done, there is a practice of stillness, stillness as yoga, where students typically rest in order to really digest and receive the practice, to integrate the practice and yeah, just receive it rather than doing it. And one of the translations I've heard for what Shavasana is or means is effortless pose. So we were there last night and my students were resting, my cohort. I don't love the word students. Um, I know that's technically correct, but it feels a little hierarchical, hierarchical, hierarchical. I think there's an actual debate over how to pronounce that word. But either way, my my cohort um, was resting and... I typically speak a bit during Shavasana. Uh, I know that it's really, it's, it's, a, it's based on teacher preference and student preference um, as to, I, there's that student word again, it's just a habit, um, but it's based on preference as to who you know offers guided Shavasana, almost like a meditative experience and who prefers to hold complete silence. Um, I am one of those teachers who offers some meditative guidance in Shavasana. And I know that's not for everybody, but the people who keep coming to my classes, I'm assuming they're coming because that works for them. So I typically speak and I spoke and I offered some reflections and offerings and invitations based on the practice that we had just done as everyone was resting and receiving the practice. And then I got to a point where I was done talking and I did get quiet and hold you know, attempt to hold that space of deep silence, like a silence that you can feel and a stillness that you can feel. 
So we were all in that space. I was trying to hold that space. And then one of my students, one of my, my practitioners had her phone right by her yoga mat and it began to ring really loudly. And she sat up immediately since her phone was right there um, and was able to shut it off pretty quickly, thankfully. And I say thankfully, not really just for everyone in the room, but for her as well, because I know how horrifying it can be to feel like you are, you know, disrupting other people. So she was able to shut it off and she said, I'm sorry. And I said, it's okay. And then I addressed the entire group who were still resting in Shavasana, um, just as I would if I were offering any other kind of meditative guidance, excuse me, during Shavasana. And I use a phrase that I've heard my teachers say frequently, which is, as within, so without. What just happened there is a, it's a good representation of what the mind does a hundred times a day, a hundred times a minute, really. And it's an invitation to notice and return. And in that moment, I was referring to kind of that loud interjection of sound that came from the phone as being analogous to the way that our mind interrupts and interjects and is loud and chaotic often. And any of us who are on a path of consciousness, of contemplation, of yoga, meditation, spirituality, are invited to witness that because it happens for all of us, regardless of how often or how long we've been practicing, um, to witness it and then to come back. In the case of my group yesterday, it would have been to kind of notice, to witness, and then come back to the stillness and the quiet of their shavasana, of their rest. And for you know anybody in any moment dealing with the mind, it's an invitation to notice that loud interjection, not unlike the jarring ring of a cell phone, to witness it and then to come back to something that's happening in the present moment, something more tangible and real than the stories that our mind can often spin. So perhaps that would be the breath. The breath is a present moment phenomenon. So is the body. So perhaps coming back to sensations in the body or coming back to connection to what's in front of us, whether that's a person that we're sitting with or a task that we're doing or you know some sort of sight in front of us like a tree or a sunrise. So I offered that space or I offered that, that invitation of as within, so without, you know, there, but by the grace of God, go we, uh, that's a really old cliche, but the idea is that that could be any of us that have our phones blare in the middle of a resting time during yoga. And it's not any, any cause for, for judgment or for, trying to position ourselves as better or worse than anyone else because that happens to every single one of us inside our own minds every day. So we continued with our Shavasana after that happened, after that occurrence, and then we began to get ready to emerge, to transition out of stillness and close our practice and step off the mat into the rest of the day and into the rest of life. And as we were transitioning, you know, typically my transition process that I offer during classes involves, you know, gentle movement to start, maybe wiggling fingers and toes, circling hands and feet. And then people can choose if they'd like to either bend their knees and roll to rest on one side or just hug knees into the chest. And as one of my other my other people, my other folks, uh, was moving around and, and bringing movement back into her body. She knocked over a metal water bottle. 
And I say it in that tone of voice in particular, because if you teach yoga, if you've practiced yoga, if you are familiar at all with the space of a Western modern yoga class, you know that you really can't have a yoga class without a metal water bottle getting knocked over at one time or the other. And so it happened and she apologized too and we all laughed. And I said again, truly, the mind is like that. It's just a representation. And I didn't say it in this exact way. I said it in some other clever way that could only happen in the moment and was probably much funnier um, to the group because we all had a nice laugh about it. But of course, we can't always recreate those moments. You had to be there. <laughs> but I said something with laughter and, and just understanding about how truly that's what the mind is like. And so we moved on from it. We sat, we, we came up to sit in our closing space. We came back to our breaths one more time, to noticing and receiving the practice one more time. And then we closed the practice. And the reason that these, these stories inspired me to speak about compassion on the podcast today is because one, it just, it makes me think about compassion for for the human mind that these disruptions first of all just I, I think about compassion as a as a day-to-day and moment-to-moment practice in the in the ways that we interact with each other because there were these interjections these kind of jarring noises that could be framed as disruptions in a time of quiet and stillness during a yoga class And there could have easily been frustration, there could have been judgment, both on my part and the part of anyone else in the room. But compassion, just sort of unwavering, unmitigated understanding and a commitment to using what was happening in front of us to serve our practice rather than to serve the ego or to serve the lower mind or or judgment or whatever it might be, allowed those disruptions, quote unquote, air quotes happening, though you can't see it, uh, to use those disruptions as tools for practice, rather than having these things happen and create separation, create um, like moments where we, we were so disrupted and so disconnected that we were no longer practicing. Compassion allowed the practice to continue flowing because it's all practice and it all became part of the practice. And then in looking at the the teaching that came up around these disruptions, these noises that happened in the moment, it has me thinking about compassion for the human mind. I chose and I invited our, our group to reject the idea that anything is separate from us and that anything is not a teaching and to recognize that we each have a loud cell phone in our own minds. We each have a clanging metal water bottle in our own minds um, and to be open and compassionate around that and to use it as a contrast to the stillness of the moment so that we could come back, so that we could find our way back to the stillness of the moment. And so it has me thinking about that, that reality, the fact that we each do have those buzzing, ringing cell phones and clanging water bottles inside of our own heads that we know as the human mind. 
the wildness, the chaos, the loudness of the mind? Do you ever notice how freaking loud and bossy your own mind can be just bringing you back and bringing you back to places where you thought you were done being or just throwing in your face over and over things you don't really want to think about, but the mind just wants to be loud about it anyway. And you kind of have those moments, or at least I do, when you're like, God, I just shut up. Like, I'm so sick of this. But it's with that awareness of, okay, what I'm experiencing right now is my mind. It is a product of my mind, which is something that we all experience as humans with human minds. It's with that awareness, basically knowing that it's the mind, which is just a part of our experience and doesn't totally define our experience. There are parts of who we are that go beyond the mind that are bigger than the mind. So it's with that awareness that we can then start to cultivate compassion around the mind. Just like we had the choice in the room, in the yoga room, to get pissed off about the noise or to just understand and use it as a teaching, we, each time our minds buzz and clang like the phone and the water bottle, have the option to say, okay, that's the mind, and I'm going to be compassionate about it. Because for like judging myself for having a human mind and trying to force myself not to have a human mind is going to disrupt the flow a little bit, right? I'm no longer in the moment when I'm just deep inside my mind trying to force myself not to have these noisy, chaotic thoughts. But when I can say, okay, awareness, I'm witnessing it happening. I'm coming back to the moment and I'm having compassion for the fact that I'm a human with a mind. I can indeed come back to the moment. I can stay a little more, we can stay a little more in the flow of our lives through that compassion. We can use it as a teaching and as a pathway back to the moment that we're living in. And in my own life, I I didn't, I haven't put it together in this way until now, until I've raised it as a topic of discussion on this podcast, but even in the last several days leading up to this and to this to this discussion even i've had a lot of opportunity to have compassion for my own human mind i'm going through it right now um i am i'm having some just i don't know if interpersonal is the right word but there's stuff there's stuff going on um i am needing to heal from some things, process some big things, and ultimately let go of and move on from some really big things right now. And I am really, really in it. It's really sticky and it's really messy and it hurts and it has layers and there are good moments and strong moments and there are hard moments and sad moments and I'm just really doing the dance, riding the wave, whatever freaking metaphor you want to put uh, on it. Uh, I'm doing that. I'm doing all of that. And so that has very much involved my human mind where I see myself having thoughts that are like the, the loudly ringing cell phone or the loudly clanging metal, metal water bottle where I'm trying my best to go about my day, to to show up in my heart, to move through my life, to do my work, to do all the things I do. And then suddenly like a billboard, my mind just shoves a thought or a memory or um, an idea 
in my field, in my, in my, into my awareness that I didn't really even ask for. But then inevitably that leads to another one and another one. And it's so easy to grab onto them and to get attached to the thoughts and to try to make meaning out of them and to try to control them and to try to assume that different thoughts I'm having mean I know how certain things are going to turn out and all of the wild, sticky things we do as humans with human minds. So easy to do those things as my mind just kind of buzzes like a rogue cell phone at me over this this stuff that I'm currently working with and currently going through. And it's also easy to want to push them away, to want to say, nope, not going to think about that. Nope, nope, nope. Go away, go away. I'm going to be better off if I just don't think about it, if I'm just a neutral, thoughtless being in the moment, living my life. Nope, go away. But ultimately, that doesn't work either. And it takes even more energy away from whatever I would be doing in the moment in my life. And another thing that's really, really easy to do is to judge myself. (laughs) That's one of the favorite activities of the human mind is to judge myself. To feel like I am doing something wrong or I'm failing or... Am, am causing harm to myself or other people by having the thoughts that I'm having, by being hurt in the ways that I'm hurt, by being attached in the ways that I am attached as a human being who forms attachments, by being stuck in the places that I'm stuck, by going through what I'm going through. It is so easy to assume that something is wrong and that I'm doing something wrong. But Again, even before I had the words to name this as a compassion practice and uh, to tie it into my teachings in the way that I was able to in class yesterday, I have been purposefully choosing not to when I have the opportunity and the awareness to do so. When I notice myself in a place that's really sticky and really tough and I'm, you know, I'm resisting something or I'm getting attached to something or I'm trying to control or, or, you know, I, I'm, resi- I'm, I'm fighting against reality and I really want things to go my way, even if that's not what's really happening in front of me. When I find myself in those places, I am really consciously choosing to say, I think it's understandable that I'm having these thoughts or having these feelings or going through this in the way that I am. I think it's understandable. I think it's human. I think it's okay. And I've actually said that out loud to some people who are familiar with the situation that I am currently moving through. And there's been a little bit of like, I'm not going to say judgment, but a little bit of incredulousness. Like, really? You're not going to, you know, bust your own chops? You're not going to beat up on yourself for that? You're, you're just going to you know, be okay with it? Are you sure that's not like, enabling yourself or, or, you know, building bad habits or what have you. And my answer has been, no, I'm not going to, because what I'm experiencing right now is already hard enough and beating up on myself over it is not going to make it any harder. And so this experience of compassion as a practice and a path has not been dissimilar to the experience of hearing the phone or hearing the water bottle during a quiet moment and inviting awareness, understanding, and then coming back to the moment. I get to see the way my mind is just 
buzzing away like the cell phone in this situation over all the, you know, just kind of like just lobbing thoughts into my awareness over the things I'm dealing with right now and say, okay, there it is. There's my mind. I'm going to come back to the sensations I feel in my body. I'm going to come back to what I feel in my breath or excuse me, I'm going to come back to my breath. I'm going to not, I'm going to try not to make a story out of the thoughts, even though I'm not beating myself up for them. I'm going to try not to make a story out of them or think that they give me some, you know, control, which is not true. (laughs) Um, And I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to try not to push them away either to force them out because that's just going to take more energy and and drain me even more than I'm already drained from all the emotions that I'm feeling. I'm just going to say, okay, here it is compassion. And that's why I am calling this episode and this discussion compassion as the only path. Because in witnessing the things that I'm witnessing, both in myself and my internal process and the, the way that I'm you know, sharing with my people and my, my folks who come to yoga and all of those things, in witnessing it, I really do recognize and honor and see, at least right now, compassion as the only path, the only constructive way I could have responded to the ringing of the cell phone and the clanging of the water bottle during yoga was compassion, judgment, or, you know, ignoring none of those things would have really been constructive judgment kind of obvious why that would have not have been constructive, especially as someone who wants to hold a conscious space as a yoga teacher. Uh, But ignoring it probably wouldn't have helped either because it happened and it probably jarred some people. It probably um, elicited some kind of reaction in some folks. And had I just left them there to deal with it on their own, that they might not have ever gotten back into a space of stillness. Um, But in acknowledging it and sitting with everyone in it, I'm hopeful that that space of stillness became a little more accessible. So really, really feels like compassion was the only response there. And same too with my own internal ringing cell phone and clanging water bottle in these just rough and incessant and and constant and difficult thoughts and experiences I'm having over the stuff that I'm currently working through and healing from. Compassion really feels like the only response. Judgment is just going to make this harder than it already is. And why the hell would I want that? Ignoring it and trying to push it away is going to probably prolong my experience of discomfort and being a little bit off balance because I'm not holding myself. I'm not caring for myself in it if I ignore it. And of course, you know, trying to control or to make, to overanalyze, just, it's just more mind stuff. It doesn't do anything. So compassion truly feels like the only path. And the primary teacher, the guru or master teacher, the light holder of my lineage of yoga, that's what guru means, uh, Majaya Sati Bhagavati, one of her quotes that she's pretty well known for, Um, or that is pretty well known, is compassion is the religion of the heart. 
Compassion is the religion of the heart. And so it invites us, both compassion and the words of my beloved teacher, my beloved Ma. Oof, I love you, Ma. (laughs) I just felt it. I said it out loud and I'm just like, oh, I love her. love my lineage. Um, But... It, all, it invites us to broaden the lens as well because I've looked at how, you know, compassion is the only path for me in what I'm dealing with internally. I've looked at how compassion was the only response to a kind of in-the-moment interpersonal situation I was in. But now we're also invited to look at, you know, compassion is the only path when we think about the broader scale. When we think about the world that we're living in. And I wish I had something, you know, beautiful and, and well thought out and, and impactful to say about the specific ways we can implement compassion as a path for all the things we're facing and the ways that that will impact the world and change things. But the truth is, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know how exactly we can each individually live our compassion in a way that impacts the world i don't know how we're each going to apply a compassionate heart to all of the many many painful unjust situations and that face us as a collective right now and i don't know what's going to happen as we each try to live our compassion but i think that's the point is not knowing And choosing to show up in every single moment with the most understanding and softness anyway. So with that, let's practice showing up in this moment that we're sharing right now with the most understanding and softness that we can. So here is the moment in the Awareness Offerings podcast where we transition from discussion into embodied practice, where we sit for some contemplation and some meditation. So if you're not in a position to do that right now, if you're showering, driving, napping, (laughs) whatever you might be doing, I don't know why you would be napping and listening to this, but you might be laying down for a nap in preparation, or you might be listening to this as you're laying down in preparation for a nap. And now I'm overthinking it. But either way, if you're not in a position to practice, um, do some seated practice right now. This will be a great time to pause and come back whenever you're ready. If you are ready to come along now, I'm going to first invite you to get your body into a comfortable seated position. That is any seat that allows you to lengthen your spine. The spine is the pathway where your energy moves. It is the home of your nervous system. So it can create some flow, some settling, some connection when the spine is long. But you can sit wherever and however you need to to find that. Legs can be crossed in the more classical position. They don't have to be. You can be sitting on the ground, though I would sit on something like a blanket or a pillow or a cushion if you're going to, but you don't have to. Maybe you sit in a chair or on your bed. But as you find your long spine, your seats of practice, knowing that you can adjust and take care of your body at any point that you need to in this practice, you settle into stillness for now and perhaps settle in by closing your eyes or taking a soft gaze down the tip of your nose or toward the floor. Just minimizing external stimuli so you have more opportunity for connection to your internal landscape. 
arriving with the self and in the self. And you can really settle and center in that arrival by practicing breath awareness, if that's a good practice for you. You don't have to do anything with your breath or change it at all. You just begin to watch the process like you would watch water moving. Just observing each piece of your breath as you inhale and exhale. Just inviting your mind, your body, and your focus into one place. And as you do so, you might already be having opportunities to practice compassion with your mind. The mind will likely try to take you out of the tools you're using to connect to the moment and into the stories that it likes to weave. And you can begin to practice treating it like the cell phone you weren't expecting to ring or the water bottle that gets knocked over, saying, okay, that happened. I understand that it happened. I don't judge myself for the fact that it happened. And here's my breath. I'm coming back. Or here's my body. Or here's a sound that I hear or a feeling that I feel. Whatever anchors you back into the moment. Just arriving together for a few moments. And from this settled place where we are turning toward ourselves and settling in the inward looking posture, the posture of contemplation and meditation, we're going to do a mantra practice. We're going to use sound, which as always you can do by, you know, expressing out loud or simply listening. That's also a practice. But sound connects our internal heart to the world around us through expression as we use these, these sacred sounds, we'll use Sanskrit mantras, these sacred vibrational sounds uh, that express devotion and love for the sacred, which comes in many forms. Love, just plain love, is one form of the sacred. Um, as we use those sounds, we connect our inner heart to, to what's around us. And so we're going to use a compassion mantra. We're going to use the Tara mantra tara represents the sacred energy of compassion so you can just think about compassion if the god goddess thing is not your thing think about compassion think about kindness think about the night sky tara is also the goddess of the night sky which when i think about the fact that compassion and the night sky are related lots of cool things to think about there but you, you know, whatever makes you feel held in understanding, whether it's a, a teacher of yours or a, a, a person or an ancestor or, again, just an idea like love, you can really hold that intention and the mantra will open you up to that regardless of what it is that you're opening up to. 
But Tara is one way to open up to and invite compassion. She does represent the energy of compassion. And her mantra is Om Tare Tu Tare Ture Swaha. Swaha is like a, an invocation, like may it be so or amen. So Om Tare Tu Tare Ture Swaha. And in kind of her mythology, she has 21 different forms. And so it's traditional to sing this mantra 21 times. I'm going to invite us to do that. As always, you can do it singing or listening, and I will count. I'll invite us to take a full breath in. Let that breath go. And actually, before we go, I want to invite that if you want to place your hands, palms to touch, and thumbs at the center of your chest, pranam, a heart-centering gesture, if that feels really reverent and centering, go for it. If there's another hand placement or gesture that feels really reverent and centering, go for it. If you want to keep your hands relaxed, great. So again, let's take a full breath in through the nose. And release. We're moving into our mantra. Om Tare Tutare Ture Swaha. Om tare tu tare tu re 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 swaha. Three more. Om tare tu tare tu re swaha. 
Tutare, tutare, ture, swaha. One. Om tare, tutare, ture, swaha. And as the sound becomes silence, it might assist you in listening inward. You notice what you feel and where you feel it. Sound is vibrational, so you might feel the vibration somewhere in your body, your chest, your skull. You might be observing what the process was like for you. It might have been uncomfortable to go with the same practice over and over 21 times. I wonder how that invites us into compassion. And whatever and wherever you're noticing, I'll invite you to gather that awareness for a moment in the center of your chest, just a few inches over from your physical heart, spiritual heart, the seat of compassion. Yoga philosophy teaches that compassion is the deepest form of love in the heart. Just rest your awareness there, perhaps in curiosity about how you can follow compassion as a path for you. And then I'll invite us to take a big, expansive, thorough, whatever that means for you, really, breath in at the heart. And release the breath. And then you can begin to blink your eyes open slowly and as you're ready. You might move your body around. It's returning to your external world a little bit, but perhaps continuing to feel awareness of your internal space and maintaining whatever effects of your practice you have received as you begin to embody the practice. That's what it means when we go from the stillness back into the world. And man, oh man, do I think that it matters to embody your own path of compassion in the world. Thank you for joining me for this awareness offering and for going into embodied practice with me. You can find me on social media at Laura Tara, L-A-U-R-A-T-A-R-A on Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube. My intro and outro music was created by none other than my very own brother, Oxella Sun, O-X-E-L-A-S-U-N, whom you can also find on Instagram. <laughs>